chapter 3. It's page 59 in the church Bibles. Is everyone ready? Now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of of fire from from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw... When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that, out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent, sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go. Assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I'll make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman woman is to ask her neighbor and and any woman living in the house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or, or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. 
Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and he took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand in his cloak. And when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to, to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since, since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. Then uh, the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then Pharaoh says, then, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent, had sent him to say, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of, it, uh, elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Thank you, Liz. Do keep your Bibles open. 
Uh, for those who've just come through from Sunday uh, Club uh, parents, we're in Exodus 3 and 4. Uh, let's pray as we come to look at God's Word. Father, we thank you uh, that you are here with us. We thank you that you have given us your Word and that it speaks to us as your Spirit uh, reveals your heart to us. I pray this morning that we will see who you are and we'll see into your heart for us, that you may change us to love you and know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I wonder how you feel about being a Christian. Just let that sink a second. How do you feel about being a Christian? How do you feel about living and speaking for Jesus? Now, I'm hoping there's part of you where there is an excitement. Part of you think, this is obviously great. But if we're honest with ourselves, I'm sure there's a side to us to different degrees in which we also feel a fear or a reluctance or an anxiety. Maybe it's something in ourselves and we think, who am I to be a Christian? We think about our past, we think about all the mess in our lives and the sin, and we think, I just, I can't do this. I'm not like those disciplined people. My life's far too messy. I'm far too weak. Or maybe we have doubts about who God is. God, I, I want to live for you, but actually I just, I can't see your power at work. I can't, I can't feel your presence. Maybe you're not the God I thought you were. Maybe that's how we feel at times. Or maybe as we think about sharing Jesus with our friends, we say, what if they don't believe? I have a, a friend who is a hardened atheist. And every conversation with him is a hard conversation. Because the outcome is almost always the same. He baffles me with philosophy and other things. And I can think, I can't convince this guy. What if they don't believe? We live in a world that says God is dead. It's a hard place to share our faith. Or maybe we just worry and say, actually, it's not maybe that people don't believe. It's just that I'm not good at talking. I never have the answers. I try and speak for Jesus, but it just goes blah, 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 and they'll never listen. I just clam up inside. I'm just not, I'm just not a natural evangelist like others. And so maybe sometimes as a Christian, we just think, okay, look, I'll just kind of batten down. God, please just send someone else. I'm all for your mission, but don't send me. Send someone else. Well, this section of Exodus, I hope for if any of those feelings, if all of those feelings are you, this section will be of massive reassurance because I don't know if you picked up, but that is basically the exact objections Moses has. Here is this man we think of, the great man Moses, who in, who in Hebrews is kind of used as an example of faith. But here he is basically a quivering wreck before the Lord. But the big thing I want us to see today that God says to Moses is this. And it's very simple. So if you remember nothing else, remember this. God says, remember who I am. Remember who I am. Here we are in our Exodus series. And last week we saw kind of what do we do in the face of uncertainty and of struggle when things don't seem to be going to plan, when we can't kind of see how it's going to pan out in any way that's good. And John helpfully saw us see, actually God knows, doesn't he? God knows what he's doing. 
We saw his kind of cosmic control over the world as he starts to work out his plan by protecting Moses, by, by protecting his life. And he's now living in Egypt. And that's where we pick up the story. But you know, what? if we if we didn't read on, we might think, hang on a minute, isn't the author missing the point? Why are we focusing on Moses when actually the real struggle is in Egypt with God's people? But actually, God wants to show us something as we zoom in here. Just for this week, we zoom in on Moses. And what God wants to show us is really what is in his heart in the way he works out this rescue. And it begins with this most incredible encounter, doesn't it? Moses meets his maker. I wonder who likes a good bonfire. Anyone like a good bonfire? I think most people like a good bonfire because the thing about a fire is it's quite a strange thing, isn't it? So we used to gather as a youth group when I was a kid at my friend's house. They had a massive load of land. So they used to have this huge bonfire at the back of the garden. And we used to love it. We'd all gather around and we'd get as close as possible. But there's something about fire is that it's both inviting but also terrifying. Like you want to go towards fire, but you don't want to go too close because it ends pretty badly. But here we have Moses, and we have this strange sight, don't we? Just look at verse 1 to 6 again. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. This is chapter 3, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock uh, to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire. Though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Here we get this. It's called a burning bush. It's a bad title, really, because we're told specifically it's not burning, is it? It's on fire, but it's not burning up. But you see what's going on? There's this, there's this fire, and it's inviting, but it's also slightly terrifying. And actually, God speaks through this, uh, this bush. It's on fire. And it's, in a sense, God, uh, Moses is invited in, and yet he's also scared. There is something like that, isn't there, with uh, being invited into the presence of God, and yet also feeling slightly scared. And like the bush, though, there's something God wants to show us here. Actually, usually to be in the presence of God will be an incredibly dangerous thing. And yet here, Moses is invited to enjoy communion with the Lord as he speaks to him through this strange sight. And as God reveals himself to Moses, he wants to show two very important things about himself for us today that I want us to see. And the first is this. God is the Lord above Capital letters, the Lord above. What does he say to Moses about this encounter? Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Now, he's not literally talking about the ground that Moses is on. But why is it holy ground? Well, because God is present. And where God is present, his holiness is present. And this word holy, really, it means different. It means set apart. It means like no other. But you know what? Sometimes I think we don't think of God like that. Quite often, I think we make God to be like us in some way. 
we kind of take the bits we like about God, but the bits that we don't like, we kind of just say, actually, I'm not sure I like that, so I'll just change what he's like in my mind. And actually, what's clear here is, how does Moses respond to hearing God's voice? Is it one of going, yeah, that's cool. No, it's fear, isn't it? He fears. He hides his face. He's afraid to look at God. Why? Because God is holy. He's not like us. He's different. He's set apart. He's like no other. He's majestic and glorious above and beyond. Moses is afraid to look at God's. God's glory is such that, that even to look at him, even within a bush, in the form of a bush, brings fear. In fact, actually later we're told to see God's face would mean death to an unholy person. And yet, what's amazing about this encounter is what happens. Moses is drawn in. He's drawn in. He's invited in. God says, Moses, Moses, hey, I'm talking to you. And God starts by reminding him that he is the same God of Abraham and Isaac and, of J- and Jacob. That's, a, uh, that's uh, Moses' ancestors. And so begins this conversation. And then God makes these amazing promises, doesn't he? To rescue uh, Israel. He's heard their suffering. He knows their suffering. He knows their slavery. He's not ignoring it. And so verse 8, I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And you can imagine Moses' excitement at this point. You know, Moses, he's been away for a long time, but he's probably still got in his heart and in his memory how the struggle of his people back in Egypt trapped. And he's thinking, yes, at last, this is brilliant. But then look what God says to him. Verse 10, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, I would have loved to have seen Moses' face at this point, because if he wasn't afraid before, he surely is now. This kind of fear wells up and suddenly he spurts out all these objections. Suddenly he, it's kind of this panic-inducing moment. He says, who am I? Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And here's the crucial bit. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. It's an amazing moment, isn't it? God says these words. I am who I am. And in some ways, there are no more important uh, statement God makes about himself than in these words here in Exodus. Because in this statement, in this name that he calls himself, there's something that God is revealing about the very heart and the character of who he is. I am who I am. See, as people, we, we love to define God. We make him to be more like us. And even as Christians, we do this. We have our own versions. We say, actually, 
you know, I love God, but I don't really like his kind of view on judgment. So I just kind of think, actually, God's not like that. He's, he's, he loves everybody and, and there isn't any judgment. Or we say, actually, I don't like his view on uh, kind of the role of sex and relationships. So actually, God, God will understand my opinion on that. It'll be fine. But you see, we make our own versions, and it, it, what it does is it, we kind of, it's like we're looking at God through the wrong end of a telescope. We kind of shrink God to be in a little box, and uh, as, a, as a men's group, we're reading this book uh, called uh, Knowing God by G.I. Packer, and he talks about this idea of being pygmy Christians, kind of smaller, not fully developed Christians. Why? Because we've created for ourselves a pygmy God, a smaller, reduced version of who God is. But you see, when God reveals himself and he says, I am who I am, what he's doing is blowing all these definitions that we make out of the water. And it seems strange to us because when we hear someone say, I am, something follows, doesn't it? Something follows. And actually, you know, so when I use it, I'll say, I'm a husband. I am a father. I am British. I am fairly monotone. I am, you know, whatever it is. Why? Because actually, in my very kind of nature and character, I'm defined by people and the world around me. But listen to what God says. I am who I am. He just says, I am. And actually, it's shortened uh, later in verse 15. Actually, what we read for the Old Testament is we get the capitals L-O-R-D, Lord. And this Lord is a shortened version of what he's saying, I am who I am. If you want to kind of know why, talk to me later. It's a bit complicated, um, and I'll try and explain it to you. But, uh, but that, that's basically, this, this term Lord is this shortened, I am who I am. And in the Hebrew, it's a slightly ambiguous phrase, actually, in terms of its tense. Is it, I was who I was? Is it, I am who I am? Or is it, I will be who I will be? Well, actually, all three are true. That seems to be what it's saying. Here in the context, we see that. So he's saying, I am the God of your fathers, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I was who I was. I am now to you who I am. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm sending you. And I will be who I will be. You will worship me on this mountain. What is God saying? I am. I am the same yesterday. I am the same today and I am the same forever. What is God saying? He is not defined by anyone else. He is self-defining. Literally, it's probably better translated, I be who I be. Who else can say that about themselves? In reality, I be who I be. He who has always been, who is and always will be the same. The creator, the only creator God. But this means that he cannot be constrained by any external factors. Nothing has power over him. The only constraint to who he is, is who he is. Oh, what's going on? You've seen ahead now. I think we're on I am who I am, Rob. <laughs> this is what I'm saying about technology, you see. The only constraint over him is who he is. His character and the thing about God is he never acts out of character. He will always act in line with his holiness and with his word. And I think we struggle to get this partly because I'm not speaking for you guys. So I'll just say, I am very fickle. Okay. I'm defined by so many factors around me that can change the way I act in any given day. And there are certain things that I should and I do, but I should never say. 
And usually when I say things that I shouldn't say, it ends up in a bit of a mess and I get myself in trouble. For example, I should never say, I will definitely be home by 5 p.m. And this happened just on Thursday. I was out and actually I thought I'd be home by 2.30, but I said, no, I'll be definitely home by 5. And what time did I get home? 6.30. Oh no, 5.45, something like that. Why? Because when I'm meeting someone, I can't just say, sorry, time's up, I'm off. I'm, I, I'm not self-defining. There are other factors that influence the decisions I make, rightly. And actually, there's another example when this happens, when I should never say, I will definitely, which is, I will definitely do that DIY later tonight. This is the face I usually get. Quite rightly, because I actually have very little control. Because first of all, I might be tired. I might just not be bothered. There are lots of things that can happen. Because I am constrained by other things, other factors. So what do we do? We kind of say things like, oh, I'll do my best. I'll do my best to meet you there at this time. I'll see what I can do. I'll try. But this is not true about God. God is unchanging and self-defining in his nature and his character, which means this, this is incredibly good news for folks because it means that God always speaks absolute truth. You see, even if I'm not intentionally lying, if I say I'll be home at five, I'm not lying. It's not that I intend to be home later, but I'm not in control, am I? Always. But God, when he says, this is who I am and this is what I do, he always speaks absolute truth because he's not constrained by anything outside of himself. He's not under the power of anything outside of himself. He is self-defining. There is nothing that can undermine his words. And that is what we see through the Exodus. So here he makes these promises about uh, sending Moses and Moses will bring the people out. And he says that Pharaoh's heart will be hardened. Now for us, if Pharaoh's heart suddenly got hardened, he suddenly says, no, that's a big deal. But for God, he knows it's going to happen. But it's not going to change his plans. Because no external force can affect uh, God's character. God is above, which means this. Can you click, Rob? I don't know what's going on with us today. That's okay. We can trust him. We can trust him. God is the Lord, the great I am. And so we can trust him. And where do we see this name, this self-definition play out? It's in his actions, isn't it? Verse 12. This verse is really interesting. And God said, I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship me on this mountain, worship God on this mountain. And he basically what he says to Moses, look, this will be the sign that I will rescue my people. I will rescue my people. How will Moses be sure that God will do it? Well, because he'll do it. Why? Because he's the same God who he was yesterday, who he is today, and, and who he has always been. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who spoke the world into being. Because when God speaks, he speaks with absolute truth. And so actually the definition of God's name in some ways is the Exodus story, isn't it? Everything that he says will happen, happens. In it we see God's holiness as he judges Egypt. In it, we see his power as he triumphs over Pharaoh and the gods of the Egyptians. 
In it, we see his grace as he redeems Israel, his people. And in it, we see his rule right at the end as he gives the Ten Commandments, his words to his people. And yet in Exodus, it's not the ultimate uh, example of God's name defined, is it? Because as we come to the New Testament, we encounter these words, I am, again. But this time, not in Hebrew, but in Greek. And it's not from a bush, but it's from a man, the Lord Jesus. This is what he says. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Isn't that an incredible claim? You see what he's doing? He's making this statement that the God that appeared to Moses, Jesus is here and says, I am. Same God. Here he is. And so where do we see God's name demonstrated ultimately? Well, it's in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. At the cross, what do we see? God's holiness as he judges uh, as Jesus faced the judgment that we deserve. Where do we see his power? Well, in the empty tomb, as Satan is defeated and Jesus is raised from the dead. Where do we see his grace? Well, because Jesus was punished in our place for our sin so that we can be rescued and have life in his resurrection. Uh, One author, Tim Chester, says this, God defines himself. And his definition is Jesus. God defines himself and his definition is Jesus. I am. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And in Jesus, we see all the promises of God fulfilled. All that he says about himself proved true. God is the Lord above and we can trust him, brothers and sisters. But there's something equally important to see here. That again, we see here in the Exodus, but ultimately in Jesus. And it's this, God the Lord is with us. He's with us. Just have a look at verse 10 again. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. This call on Moses, man, that must have been a shock, right? Who can blame the guy for his response? He's 80 years old. He's been a shepherd for however many years, living in kind of the middle of nowhere. He's settled down. He's married. He's got kids. You know, never in his wildest dreams would he expected this kind of call. And so he says, who am I to do this? And it's a heart question, isn't it? Who am I? I'm just, I'm 80 years old, for goodness sake. I'm a shepherd. I was, that, I was that rash kid that killed someone and then legged it. Who am I to do this? But listen to how God responds because it's not how I would respond. It's not how the world would respond. You see, I was watching the Brit Awards last week and uh, one of the winners, Dave, said, you can do anything if you put your mind to it. And that maybe, maybe that will be our approach to Moses, I think. We might say, Moses, don't be so hard on yourself. Do, chill, it's okay. You can do it. Look, actually, you know Egypt. You were born there. You've got lots of qualifications. You spent loads of time there. Look, your, your, your heritage is Hebrew. You're, you're the perfect guy for this. And actually, you, you're courageous. And you've got this compassion for your people. And, and all these things. 
You can do anything if you put your mind to it, Moses. Maybe that's what we would have said. But that's not how God deals with Moses, is it? In fact, he says five words that change everything when you know who God is. I will be with you. I will be with you. Why is that the answer? It's not really a direct answer to the question, is it? Who am I? I will be with you. But you see, it's not because of anything who Moses is that makes the difference. It's God who makes the difference. It's not who Moses defines whether what he does will be successful or not. It's who God is. You see, what Moses needs is not greater self-esteem. He doesn't just need to kind of boost himself up a bit. What he needs is a greater sense of God's presence. I will be with you. What will make God's call on Moses' life a success? It's who God is. I will be with you. Is that not what this whole conversation is about? See, why doesn't God just use his power? Forget Moses, just skip to, skip to Egypt and just get rid of Pharaoh. Why doesn't he do that? Cut out the middleman. Why doesn't he just kind of uh, forget all this conversation and just do it? Especially in light of Moses' reluctance, you think, why bother? Why? Because God is not like that. He's not a, a distant tyrant or a dictator who just does stuff. He is a loving father and a creator. He is with us. Why? So we can know him. So we can know him. Just skip to chapter 4, verse 22. So Moses being sent and, and um, God kind of tells what will happen and Pharaoh will harden his heart. But then this is what he's to say to Pharaoh, Moses. This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my people go so they may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. I will kill your firstborn son. And this is an incredible moment because this is the first time that God gives his people this name firstborn son. Here in Exodus, what does he do? He calls them his children. They're not just a people. They're not just a random group, that an inconvenience, but they're his children, his firstborn son. Just take a moment. Here we are, the great I am, the Lord, the Almighty, the Holy One, the Creator, who is far above us all. He calls them his children. Firstborn, privileged children. You see, God isn't just some kind of distant, out there, kind of dictator, tyrant God who just kind of wants toys to play with in this kind of cosmic drama. He's made us for a loving relationship with himself. And he wants to give us an identity for which we were made in that relationship with himself as children. He wants Moses not just to go, but to know him. As God's child. He wants the Israelites not just to be rescued, but to know him as God's child. Children. We've called this series uh, kind of freed to worship because actually God's aim is that we worship. It's not just that we're freed, but that we enjoy a relationship with him as his children. 
He wants us to find our value, not in what the world says, but as dearly loved children. Is that where you find your value? See, why didn't God just leave us in the mess that we're in, in our sin, as slaves to sin? Why did he send Jesus so that in Jesus, God could show us who he is? I am. In human form. Why? So that we might know him intimately, personally, wonderfully, and enjoy a relationship with our creator as children through faith in Jesus. Just let that sink in. The Lord of lords, the God above, the almighty, the one who is holy like no other, the great I am, the one who is self-defining, the one who is the same yesterday, today and forever, the God of Isaac and Abraham and Jacob and Moses and David. He's chosen to make himself known. He came down in the person of Jesus, and remains with us, indwelling through his Spirit. Why? So we can know him. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? John 1, 9-13, right at the start of the Gospel, says this, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or a human decision but, or a husband's will, but born of God. Why did God not stay distant? Why did he come down here to Moses and ultimately in the person of Jesus? Why this intimate encounter to show us that he wants to enjoy a relationship with us as our father and as we are his children adopted into his family through the blood of Jesus. Do you know him today? Have you made that step of faith today? Because we need to pause, don't we, to think about this question briefly, who am I? Because it's the world's big question, isn't it? It's, we, we kind of hear all around us these talks of identity and we live our lives trying to kind of build our own identities and they're constantly threatened and we're full of fear and anxiety and stress and a sense of inadequacy and it calls it all into question. So where is my identity to be found? Well, the same place God tells Moses his identity is to be found. I will be with you. I will be with you. That is a huge statement. He's saying, Moses, look, it's not about your past. It's not about what others think of you. It's not what, even what you feel about yourself. Who are you? I'm with you. That's who you are. You're a child, dearly loved. That is where your value is found. That is where your worth is found. That is where your success is found. I am with you. See, Moses isn't just given a mission. He's given a new identity here, isn't he? 1 John 3 verse 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And what does God say to his children? The same thing he said to Moses. The same thing he'll say to the Israelites. I will be with you. The same thing Jesus said to his disciples at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, disciples, equally, they must have felt pretty afraid, right? These guys weren't a bunch known for their bravery. They all ran away when Jesus died. And so Jesus gives them this mission to go and make disciples across the world. But you see what he says? Same again, isn't it? I will be with you. God the Lord is with us. And God the Lord is above us. And we have to have both of these things about God set in our minds because if we lose either one of them, we end up in all kinds of trouble and actually we lose what's at the heart of the Christian faith. If we say that God is just above and he's not with us, well, actually, that's what Muslims believe. But actually with that, what do we have? We never have any assurance. We have this kind of fear of just displeasing God. And actually, are we just fated to live a certain way? And actually what happens is just played out and I have no hand in the matter and no kind of freedom or joy in any of it. But then equally, if we take God's aboveness out of the picture, we just have T-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy, basically. We take out his holiness and he, he just becomes like us. And that's great sometimes, but actually it also takes away all his power to make any difference in our lives or in the world. God is above. We can trust him. And he's with us so that we can know him. And what does all this mean? Brothers and sisters, it means we need not be fearful to live the Christian life. We need not be fearful to live out the Christian life. You see, when I look at a broken world and lost people who don't know God, it's this huge task, isn't it? And I feel so weak on any given day. How can I possibly even share the gospel? When I meet my atheist friends and he baffles me once again. And when I say to myself, what if they don't believe me? When Satan tempts me to despair and say, look, you're not good enough. You're a mess. How can you do anything? Remember who God is. Remember who God is. Remember who God is. I am who I am. I will be with you. What God says, was it last week we said, God says, I know. This week he says, so go. So go. I will be with you. Go and be the change in the world as God calls you to do so. And he will be with you. God will never give us a mission that he's not going to be there with us doing. God is the Lord with us. So go, remembering who God is. Just have a look at 4 verse 1. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? And then what happens? The Lord gives him these signs, doesn't he? And we think, and I think sometimes we think, it'd be fine if God gave me a staff that turned into a snake. No problem. If God let me put my hand inside and it turned leprous and then black and it was like, you know, everyone would believe me then. But you notice it doesn't convince Moses. And so we shouldn't think it will convince anyone else. Just go to verse 10. After all this, after the sign about the, the staff and the hand and then the, the bloods, all kind of pictures of what God's about to do in Egypt, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past or nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. It's like, Moses, come on. 
But you see, it's not enough, is it? Even these signs aren't the thing that make the difference. What is Moses' problem? Verse 13. But Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. See, the problem isn't that there's not enough evidence, not enough signs. Jesus told a lot of people in the New Testament he's not going to give them any more signs. The issue is, are we sure about who God is? Because Moses, actually what his issue revealed is he had a half-hearted faith. And it nearly leads to his death. And now you thought I was going to avoid these awkward uh, verses about the, the, the bridegroom of blood, but I'm not. Verse 24, at a lodging place on the way. So Moses is reluctantly going on this mission. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At this, that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Now, this is a strange verse, isn't it? And there is loads of stuff we don't know about this verse. It leaves us with loads of questions. You can ask your life group leaders. They'd love that. <laughs> but what seems to be going on is that for whatever reason, whether it's his time in Egypt or whether it's his marriage to a non-Israelite, whatever it is, or whether that he's just kind of lost sight of things, Moses hasn't circumcised his son. And actually one of the things about being part of God's people, one of the very signs of being part of God's people was circumcision. That was an act of faith in God to trust God to be who he is. And for whatever reason, Moses hasn't done it. And so here we are, Moses reluctantly going on his mission. And God says, actually, before you do any of that, the first problem is that you're not living in obedience to me. And Zipporah, how often do our wives get us out of trouble, men? Zipporah, we don't quite know how she comes up with this, but she thinks fast and she gets a son, she circumcises him. And Moses is safe. But you see, Moses, there's, there's something going on in his heart, isn't there? There's kind of this reluctance, this half-hearted faith. He kind of wants to do what God wants, maybe, but he's also kind of not quite living out the faith that he grew up with or the faith that he should have known. Maybe he's forgotten who God is. Many of the Israelites had. It's been a long time in Egypt. And sometimes what I wonder is whether our experiences, our struggles, our fears... Whatever they are, our background, they cause us to lose hope. And we minimize God and we become kind of half-hearted followers. We'll do what we need to do, but reluctantly. But hear this call on us today. Remember who God is. I'll keep saying it. Remember who God is. It's not about us. It's about him. See, why does God continually, through this passage, like six times, God speaks of his promise to rescue Israel and expands on it? Why is he that? Because he's continually reassuring Moses. He's saying, look, again and again and again, he's saying, I am who I am. Remember who I am. He patiently, very patiently, and increasingly reminds Moses of his character. Moses says, you know, I'm not eloquent. What does God say to him? Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. You see what he's saying? Remember who I am, 
Moses. How much do we need to hear that today? Remember who I am. For every objection Moses makes, God just says, remember who I am. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Moses, I will be with you. Who are you? I am who I am. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the same yesterday, today and forever. What if they don't believe me? Let me show you the power. Let me show them my power. I can't speak that well. Who gave human beings their mouths? I'll be with you and teach you what to say. Send someone else. And this is the great thing. What does God do? Out of grace, he does. He sends Aaron. Aaron's already on his way in God's providence. Aaron's already on his way to meet Moses. And those same promises God is making to us. Remember who I am, God says. Who am I? You're a child of God. I will be with you. Who are you? I am who I am, the Lord. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Look at the Lord Jesus. What if they don't believe me? Let me show them my power. I can't speak that well. Who gave man their mouths? I will help you speak and teach you what to say. And actually, we have a lot more than Moses. We have the word of God, don't we? The scriptures to help us grow in that area under God. Send someone else. Go, I'm sending someone with you. We don't have Aaron. We have better. We have the Holy Spirit. God indwelling. What do we do in the face of fears, anxiety, reluctance to live and speak for Jesus? Remember who God is. I am who I am. I will be with you. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are the Lord. The great I am, self-defining, that nothing outside defines you, that you don't change with the winds, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because of that, you are completely trustworthy, that your word always, always proves true, that your promises are always fulfilled, that when you speak, it happens that we can trust you. Help us not to try and make you like us. Help us not to put you in a box. Help us to remember who you are and help us to know that you are with us. That is a promise you make. You are with us by your Spirit living in us. And so, Lord, give us boldness, not in ourselves, but in who you are. Give us confidence, not in ourselves, but in who you are. Help us to remember who you are. And every day as we try and live the way you want us to live. And as we try and speak the name of Jesus everywhere we go. Help us to remember who you are. And may we see your plans and purposes unfold. For your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.